Okay, you could start whenever. Welcome back to another episode of the Born Again Again podcast. So before we get into today's episode, I wanted to say a big old thank you to all of you who've signed up for our Patreon in this last month. Each one of you who signs up is allowing us to take more time out of our week to create this space for you all, and we appreciate it more than you know. If you're not already signed up, on our Patreon you'll find our book club, which you could still jump in on if you want to read along with us in the next uh, week and a half or so, as well as some additional Patreon-exclusive episodes. On next week's Patreon episode, Katie and I will be taking an even more in-depth look at inner child work, and we're going to be posted a, posting a guided, downloadable inner child meditation that we put together so that it's super, super easy for you all to get healed and uh, reconnect with your inner child, which, as we all know, is really, really important. All right, so today's episode is an interview with sex and relationship coach Meg Cowan, and I'm really excited about this one. Like many of you guys, this is an area that Katie and I are kind of still figuring out, and there's a lot of gold uh, in the next hour of conversation. During our chat, we talk about understanding personal agency, autoimmune issues in a repressed body, and untangling from shame. Um, We get into communication, both in relationship and your communication with yourself, as well as some practical ways to begin building a new sexual ethic. And we wrap up by talking about navigating deconstruction with a partner who may not be on the same page as you. It's all super helpful stuff. Like always, we'd love to hear what you think of the episode, so definitely reach out on Instagram or join the discussion on Facebook, and be sure to connect with Meg via the links in the episode description. I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, I just wanted to say first off, thanks for taking the time (laughs) to do this with me. I know you're busy and have a lot of stuff going on. And uh, yeah, really, really appreciate it. I feel like this is maybe the biggest uh, topic that we get questions about all the time is around sex and relationships. And so when I found your Instagram page, I was like, I was thrilled. I was like, we got to talk to her. We got to talk to her and get her on here. So yeah. No, I'm I'm glad. Thanks for asking me. Definitely. Um, so I wanted to just give you a, a minute or two here to kind of introduce a little bit about who you are and kind of how you came to be in the role you're in now. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I am Meg and I am from the beautiful New Zealand. Um, so I ended up in this this area of work, I guess, because it affected me and it affected my life. You know, yeah. often often our greatest work comes out of some of our pain and that was the case for me. Mm. Um, I, you know, growing up, I never thought I'd be talking about sex and sexuality because you didn't do that. You know, yeah. I grew, up, I grew yeah. up in the thick of purity culture, right? <laughs> right. So, um, and while I think New Zealand purity culture was a little different to what you guys experienced in like America and, mm-hmm. and those kinds of areas, Um, we definitely, I mean, we had a strong focus from organizations like Focus on the Family and like True Love Waits and Joshua Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye, like all of those things that were really formative in purity culture, that was my teenage years, you know, Mm -hmm. so so it really came out of that and um, I did lots of the right things, you know, I played by the rules, I wanted to be that good girl who who got it right and I had a purity ring and I had a contract and yeah. um, <laughs> all of that stuff and, <laughs> and you know, I made it, you know, by by the skin of my teeth to, to my wedding as a technical virgin mm-hmm. and so I was like, technical. okay, yeah, do yeah. It. let's not get into the, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, because, but but I made it, and so uh-huh. there was a, like a feeling of, oh, I did the right thing, you know. I I waited for penetration, so oh, nice. So that I should have <laughs> all the blessings now, mm-hmm. in, you know, in my Christian marriage and my sex life, and um, that wasn't the case. Yeah, and that isn't a case for very many people who come through purity culture, and and there was not really anywhere to go with that at mm-hmm. the time. Like, you know, yeah, who do you right. yeah. of course. So I guess that's how I ended up, um, or that's my backstory of why mm-hmm. 
I think it's so important to talk about this. And then the other things that were happening around that were, um, you know, through my 20s, I obviously I was married very young because purity culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so Same here. I, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was 20. I was a month off my 21st birthday when I got married. Um, and then all of my years of my 20s were actually really kind of ruled by chronic pain syndrome. And I had mm. a lot of a lot of sickness in my body and a lot of stuff that was incurable. And um, so there was, there was that playing in there as well, the whole body situation and yeah. not loving and not trusting my body. And so all of that was playing in. And at the same time, my husband and I were um, working at an evangelical kind of church. So a Hillsong-esque okay. church. Yeah. Not a hill song, but you know that kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there was all those different things in the mix, and then I guess it was in my early thirties and coming up to my mid thirties when I started going, "Wow, this is everything!" <laughs> like, yeah. like the doctrine on purity has not actually given me great freedom in my sexuality, and yeah. it hasn't. It hasn't produced what I was always told it would. And even, you know, my face was so black and white. And I was like, well, this the formulas don't work. I, I liked that. I embraced the black and white. Mm-hmm. That was part of who I was. I'm like, oh, it's not really working. Yeah. Um, and then and then, you know, the stuff around healing and and there was I had some beautiful stories of of amazing you know, things that happened around, you know, people caring for me and praying for me in the community that I was a part of. And I'm really grateful for the the way that people extended care to me and and all of my story with that. But there was also a sense of dissatisfaction. Like I sure. did all the things I was supposed to and it still didn't work how, yeah. you know, how I thought it was going to. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so, and at the same time, I was running a business, and um, we have a, an international business that is in um, four or five different countries, and we sell stationery. And so, I was running that, and ended up business coaching. And then, as I started coaching people, you know, it inevitably comes back to some of these core issues, like sure. how are you living out a full life? It's not just about your business. And, yeah. and because yeah. I was working with a lot of Christian women this subject just kept coming up over and over. So that's when I realized actually I need to go kind of retrain and get some knowledge and some skills around this because there's nobody to talk to. (laughs) At at the time, I didn't know who there was to talk to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. It's kind of silly thinking back now, like even for myself, I feel like I relate to your story a lot and kind of doing things right and sort of embracing the black and whiteness of like the doctrines we were taught and stuff like that. Cause it, in a way it's kind of comfortable and there's very clear guidelines and, you know, do this and don't do that. And, but yeah, it's silly looking back and thinking that I even thought that by following those rules, that that would equal like a beautiful relationship and a wonderful sex life. The second I got married as <laughs> if like some magic thing would switch and then all of a sudden everything's open and everything's great and wonderful, you know? I, think you, that, I mean, you can't spend 20, 30, you know, depending on what age you get married, you can't spend that many years of your life repressing your sexual desire and your sexuality and your connection to your body. Yeah. You can't expect that to switch in one moment. Right. Yeah. And I, I did, you know, personally, I did expect that because I, th- I kind of yeah. think that's well, what... Well, so did I. But yeah, right. <laughs> but now with hindsight, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's kind of, I think, what we were taught. We were taught that that's, this is how it works. This is God's perfect plan. This is kind of the result of it and this is how you have the best possible marriage and relationship and so yeah when that when you go through it and then things start to not turn out as you expected it can be really I don't know for me it was it was really discouraging and kind of confusing because you're like you know what I I thought we did all this stuff right but like Mm -hmm. the the practice what's actually playing out in my life isn't really matching what my expectations were Um, And I I think that a lot of people, myself included, I'll I'll share a lot about, you know, my relationship with Katie. I'll I'll keep a lot of stuff um, kind of private as well, just especially since she's not here and I don't want to overshare anything like that. Um, But yeah, I can say for myself that I, we've experienced that big time where we we kind of had a lot of expectations going in and, and at this point kind of just feel like there's just something like missing. You know what I mean? I think, I think the area of sexuality doesn't feel as easy and as light and as natural as we now know that it could be. And Mm -hmm. so it's become 
an area where we're both like, you know what, we should, we want to like optimize this in a sense, you know, like we really want to enjoy our sexuality. We want it to be easy. We want it to be free flowing and we want it to be flourishing and we want it to be a reflection of the way we live the rest of our life. Um, and yeah, and I, th- I think for a lot of people, my, myself and Katie included, that's, it just hasn't been a natural process since leaving our faith. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, in the process of deconstructing a lot of other stuff, I think inevitably, inevitably start to realize how much like shame and baggage we're carrying from all of those years, um, repressing sexuality and repressing all kinds of other stuff. But yeah, um, yeah sexuality. Well, I, I think that however you deconstruct or reconstruct or reclaim, you, mm-hmm. you know, and that looks really, really different for a whole lot of people. Some people deconstruct and deconvert and they're done and they're out. Some people deconstruct and then they hold elements of their faith or values right. or they or they bring other faiths in. Or, you know, so there's a huge, huge variety. But I think what's true across however you do that process is that when you pull one thread a lot of the other threads often go, <laughs> you yes, know? So, right. so for me, like the thread that I pulled was around sexuality and I'm mm-hmm. like, hold up, this wasn't right. And then I pulled the thread around healing and my, my thinking about healing. I was like, oh, okay, that one's <laughs> not working too. And so you start pulling these threads and, and the interesting process for me has been reweaving and creating a new state of being, creating a new... Um, thinking about faith and where I sit with that. And, and it's really been, ta- you know, okay, yeah, I'm going to pick up some of those threads and I'm going to leave some of them because I've still got a lot of uncertainty. And, yeah, you know, it's just such a varied process for everybody. But Definitely. often, whichever way you do it, that sexuality thread will come up somewhere. Sure. <laughs> you know? That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's it's really great now being like kind of on the other side of that really dogmatic black and white thinking. It's mm-hmm. it's great that we can flow in between. And like you said, we can pick up the things that we love and that we feel empower us and that that build us up and we can let go of the things that were sources of shame and, you know, um, yeah. suppression and all that. So yeah, totally on the same page with you there. Yeah. Um, but so you mentioned something when we were talking uh, just back and forth through email, you're saying that one of the big things that you like to focus on is um, understanding our agency and kind of like the, the head knowledge that our body is actually our own. Um, mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could explain a little more like what the importance of that, that realization is. Yeah. So this is a piece that comes up really, really frequently for people who, um, whether you're deconstructing or not, if you've got shame around sexuality. So like Mm -hmm. leave even the faith side of it aside because this actually affects people whether they've been like heavily embedded in what you might call a hookup culture where there's objectification of the body and Mm. um, and where that that hooking up has been done without respect and without agency. And um, so so this isn't exclusive to faith communities, right? But this whole thing of permission and agency is so vital, but where it intersects with faith is that a lot of us in Christian circles, like growing up in faith communities, we've had this this thing's been taught to us that your sexuality is not really yours until you get married. Sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of even hard to describe because outwardly we're taught that it's ours that we've got to create boundaries and we've got to hold on to it but for women particularly and I I know this does is true for men as well but I deal with a lot of women who struggle Mm -hmm. with this part of it is that one day when a partner comes along they will unlock your sexuality yeah and so (laughs) it's like when you think about it with hindsight you're like no way of course not but that's kind of what we grew up with that's what a lot of purity culture was is it's bad, it's bad, okay, you said your vows, it's good, it's good. Yeah. And so there's this idea that it will get unlocked one day and that unlocking and that goodness is related to another person or a partner. Yeah, um, that's so, so disempowering. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And so understanding that our sexuality is ours before it's anybody else's. I mean, yeah. from the moment we born, children are sexual, not in a not in an erotic kind of way, but they're conscious. They're conscious of of their genitals. They're conscious of what feels good. And and often in Christian families, there's themes of 
you know, we're silent. We don't talk about sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. So we just don't even know how to engage in that conversation or, um, no, that's bad. Don't touch yourself like that. Don't, as, even as children, yeah. like right from the time we're children, we're taught don't do that. Um, yeah, so I think permission is a massive, massive piece when it comes to untangling this this new way of thinking about sexuality. Right. And is that, do you feel like that's something that kind of, that, that sense of like deep down permission, is that something that kind of just comes as you as you learn to trust yourself more, like as the process unfolds or are there specific things that you found helpful for people to like realize, you know, yeah, you know what? I, I am my own, my body is my own and it's not bad. Yeah. Well, I think again, it's really as, as varied as deconstruction is for people. That makes this sense. Journey, yeah. This journey and healing your mm-hmm. relationship to your sexuality is really varied. So, um, I I don't like to say do these three things and of course, yeah. because that's like that's so black and white again, right? Yeah. So um, so I think that there are some things that we can do though, like we can actually just shine the light of awareness on what we think about sexuality and permission sure. and agency and and even just shining the light of awareness on this topic helps to give you a feeling of, oh, it's okay, I can look at this. Um, you know, I'm not going to be struck down. I'm not going to be hauled before a group of people and told to confess that I've been asking questions about this or exploring different ways of being with this. So I think just, just starting to look at it, like starting to get yourself some really comprehensive sex ed, because often for those of us in purity culture, we don't even, you know, we didn't know the names of different parts of our anatomy. Of course, yeah. <laughs> like right, we were, right. It was so shrouded. We missed out on a lot of that really, really important information. So, yeah. so it's different for different clients and different people depending on where they're at. But those are things that I look at like, okay, do you know about your anatomy? It's okay to know about your anatomy. It's yours, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, So do we know about erogenous zones and the clitoris and the pleasure centers in our body? And and so I think that's a really powerful place to start is just go get yourself some great comprehensive sex ed. Um, and, And then thinking about like how do I want to express myself and how do I want to use my body in the ways that I encounter the world So how do I want to move through the world? That might come for some people and how do I want to dress, you know, Mm -hmm. or um, do do I want to get some more piercings or, you know, I have a a giant um, sleeve tattoo now, which I Mm -hmm. never thought I would do because that's not something good Christian girls do. But (laughs) for me, that was a huge piece of the puzzle that I had been thinking about for a lot of years. And then I just went, oh, my body is my own and I know this deeply, truly in myself. And so now I'm going to put that on the outside somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so cool. it's really different. <laughs> that, that's actually interesting you bring that up. I've never really thought about that, like the relation of tattoos and the idea of <laughs> self-agency. But I, I got a tattoo. My, I have one tattoo. It's just a little one on my wrist that says, I love you. Beautiful. Um, when I got it, I felt, I really did feel a self a sense of like self agency and self empowerment and like mm. a, almost an embodiment, like, Oh, you know what, this, this is my body and I'm going to be with it for the rest of my life. And yeah. regardless of what happens around me or who I know or who I'm with or who I disappoint or who I impress or whatever, like I'm always going to be here with my body, with this body. Um, and you're right. That actually, that was like a bit of a moment for me. Now that I'm thinking back on it, getting a tattoo was, it was like a moment of self agency um, and I think it also potentially unrelated, but it also was like a little bit of a, um, it was something I know that my parents wouldn't approve of, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. that, that was like thrilling and empowering in its own way, you know, like, Hey, you know what? I am literally my own person. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to get a tattoo. And yeah, yeah right. so that's cool. So- I mean, I went into this process knowing that my dad would be pissed, (laughs) just knowing. And I mean, I love him so much. I didn't do it to upset him. Sure. But but I had that knowledge in the back of my mind. I mean, honestly, my other three siblings are actually covered in tattoos already. I was the Mm -hmm. last one. But, you know, I was always such a good girl. I liked to play by the rules growing up. And I'm the oldest. And um, so, you know, there was this feeling for me of, okay, somebody else might not like what I'm choosing to do, 
but it's still my body and I'm still choosing. And, you know, I still made that choice in a way that felt ethical and respectful. I wasn't harming anybody else. I wasn't, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, but there, there was this sense. And, and I went into that session and I was really fortunate to have a great friend of mine who was the artist who did it. And it was, you know, three and a half hours that, that first session of, and I just chose to like, I don't even know the word, like code into, integrate, um, believe mm-hmm. that with, with all of the pain of getting it done, that I was also releasing myself of the pain of not having agency. Wow. Um, cool. And so I went into it with real intentionality. And so it's yeah. not the right thing for everybody, mm-hmm. but that was my piece where I said, okay, I have permission and, you know, and we talked as well. Her and I, we, she comes from a similar background. And so although she's a tattoo artist now and we just talked about this whole process and at the end I cried and it was like so cathartic. Wow, dang, because, cool. Because it was just like, yeah, I am my own and I know it. I've known it for a while now, but to do something that actively says I am my own was really, really powerful. Yeah. Wow. Cool. I, I really like that. It's kind of taking something that you could, you could have gone in there um, mindlessly or, or without an intention and just sat and kind of bared through the pain for three hours and left the same person that you were when you walked yeah, in, right? but by going in with intention and awareness, yeah, it could be really transformative. That's, I really like that. Makes me want to get more tattoos. <laughs> No, so tattoos I'm, not, anyways. I'm not saying I'm not saying that tattoos are the key to sexual liberation. Um, I mean, if it was that easy, me. I mean, they yeah. help me. But um, but I do think that whatever it is, and whatever you choose, you know, whether it's a different style of clothing or cutting your hair, or um, you know, I remember even at 14 being kind of rebellious and. And I cut my really long hair. It was like down to my waist and I cut it up to my shoulders because some boy in the youth group told me that I shouldn't even consider it because my hair was the glory, a woman's crown or something like this. And I was like, (laughs) cringe. Yeah. I'm cutting it. (laughs) Even at 14, you know, there was a sense of wanting agency. So it looks really different. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That, no, I, I really like that. I like that a lot. Um, so another thing that I think everyone will really relate to who's listening along um, is obviously before marriage um, and for anyone who's still single, I think there's there's so much shame around sexuality and shame around our bodies and shame around the way we feel about other people and about our own bodies. And um, to the point that now, like after marriage, it seems very, very difficult to kind of separate that shame from mm-hmm from sexual desire, from sexual feelings and thoughts and, and views about our own body. Um, where do we begin to start unpacking that? <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, I mean, I think it's important to remember that we have this very, particularly as Christians coming from a Christian faith, mm-hmm. we have a very dualistic view of the body and the spirit. And, mm-hmm. and we think, or we've been taught that, the things of the intellect and the things of the spirit are of higher value than the body. And we forget that actually we're living out our experience of being humans in these bodies. And so we hold that shame and we hold that tension um, in our physical forms. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think what's really powerful is doing um, somatic work that is actually moving your body as you're, because it's all very good to um, intellectualize and talk about the ways that we need to release shame. Sure. But actually, I think along with that talking is movement, mindfulness. Um, you know, and that, again, that looks different for everybody. It might be some kind of yoga practice. It might be running. It might be, um, you know, stretching or dancing or meditating. But some kind of movement as you're intentionally thinking and recreating new thought pathways about your body and about sexuality mm. is really powerful because we've held that shame in our bodies. You yeah. know, we haven't, we haven't just held it in our minds. We've held it in our bodies. And it's really interesting when you start talking to um, pelvic floor specialists. So uh, we call them physiotherapists. I think you guys call them physical therapists. Mm-hmm. And often they'll find that people with a lot of religious um, shame and, and, you know, trauma in their body around religion and around sexuality, 
there's this holding and this tension and we have to actually physically learn how to let go of that to be able to experience pleasure, particularly for women. Um, You know, the way we hold, we, we brace ourselves inside and and we brace at our core and we repress things. And so, so I'm really a fan of doing work that is not just intellectual, but doing work that is about moving your body and, and interacting in this process with your whole body. Yeah. Wow. So, so I know that looks very different. You said for a lot of different people, but what, like, what are some examples of what that process could look like? Cause it sounds to me like it's kind of a matter of, I like how you said our, our intellect kind of becomes separated from our body. And I, the way I imagine it is like, we're kind of being recombined into one whole person. Yeah. Again, we're integrating, right? It, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what can that look like? I, I mean, and is it something you could just do on your own at home, just dance around or, or go to the physical therapist and tell them, you know, Hey, I had religion and now my pelvis is locked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, depends what specific issue yeah. you're dealing with, but um, yeah, so it might look like getting a massage, like mm-hmm. choosing to get a massage and going, Hey, I'm, I'm going to connect to this process mm-hmm. and I'm going to really relax and let my body feel this, you know, it's in a, it's a non-sexual massage. I'm going to a, you know, a masseuse, a therapist on this, and I'm just going to go in with intentionality and go, hey, I'm going to feel that this feels really good to my body. This yeah. feels really relaxing to my body. Um, it might look like, you know, for me, it looked a lot like dance and movement. So mm-hmm. it was getting up before the kids were up and it was spending half an hour with some music on, like just music that made me feel alive and yeah. music that felt fun and music that, you know, I want to dance with somebody and all these old kind of uh-huh. like nineties tunes. That, feel good songs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then sometimes it would be, it would be slower and it would be more, a bit more sorrowful really, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was about moving my body through what it was feeling. And, and for some clients it's about being in nature, mm. you know, so getting out and walking and just allowing your mind to wander and allowing your mind to appreciate the environment that you're in yeah, and feeling that as pleasure in your body, because often we think of pleasure as just sexual pleasure mm-hmm. and pleasure, like pleasures in picking up a, a newborn baby and the smell of them and pleasure is in beautiful food and pleasure is in walking hand in hand with someone you love and pleasure is in doing a great job at something and noticing, Hey, I did great there and I feel empowered and like I did a good thing. And yeah. there's all kinds of experiences of pleasure. Yeah. And, and so getting rid of the shame, I think is, is reconnecting with, with spaces where pleasure is good and it's okay. Yeah. That's, I, I really like the way you put that. I, it makes me think, or it makes me kind of draw a parallel between maybe my, my thinking when I was at my deepest, most like rigid fundamentalist point to now has been, it's, it's kind of looked like um, relaxing and becoming less analytical and kind of zooming out and just like being more. And, and the way you described kind of reframing how we view pleasure from just like a specific sexual act that maybe we feel in a certain area in our bodies to no pleasure is everywhere. We can experience pleasure all the time, every day and in many different ways. It feels somehow feels familiar to me, if that makes sense, you know, like the shift in thinking kind of mirrors the shift in, in feeling the way I relate to my body. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think what's a good point here too, is that this is how we need this is how it's really good to think about our relationship if we're with a significant other is that pleasure isn't just about penetration. Mm -hmm. Like as, as people in faith communities, we've often been taught, like I said to you at the start, I was a technical virgin, you know, we were taught (laughs) that that penetration was the pinnacle Uh of sexual um, pleasure and goodness you know i'm trying to think of the right word like yay you're waited and you Uh, didn't have any (laughs) penetrative sex until Uh you got married and that's what's going to be amazing yeah and actually the process of rediscovering with yourself but then also particularly in a relationship pleasure is going 
oh, wow, there's all these different ways that we could engage in sexual pleasure. Yeah. So just like we can engage in all different types of pleasure in the world around us, also in our intimate relationship, we can engage in all different kinds of pleasure. And we're going to explore that and we're going to have fun with that. And the goal is not just reaching orgasm. The goal is can we feel this pleasure in our body? Yeah. Yeah. Can we appreciate that for what it is? Right. So that's a really good conversation and and question to bring up with your partner is what is the goal of sex for us? Like is the goal to get to penetration? Like, yeah, sure, that's great and that can feel good, but – but is that the goal or yeah. are we engaging in acts of mutual pleasure together? And that could look like all kinds of things. Right. Oh, that's a good point too. And it kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about next was I, I think another problem a lot of us um, people who came through purity culture have is just communicating with each other mm-hmm. about sex, sex and sexuality. Because like you said, I, in my family, it was super hush hush. And I think, even if you're not in a religious family, I think that a lot of people, a lot of people's parents felt really awkward talking about sex and um, yeah. And so it's, so you grow up and it's all stigmatized your whole life and suddenly you're married and now you're supposed to understand how to communicate what you want and how to know what even you want and all of that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would imagine that communication is a skill that kind of needs to be relearned um, yeah, in absolutely. this process. Absolutely. I mean, I get it. I have an 11-year-old and a Mm 13-year-old. I get it that as a parent, you're like, do I really want to have this conversation? (laughs) Um, And, you know, my son, they know what I do for work. Uh They know. And so there are some times when I will get the eye rolls and I know, mom, I know, because we're talking about consent or pleasure Uh in your body. It's all very age-appropriate, but um, I get it why it feels difficult to talk about it now because it was awkward, but there was then this layer of of silence or um, shame around it that came with purity culture. Sure. And so I think like just for me and how I try to normalize it with my own children is we use correct anatomical names. Like mm. we're not scared of saying penis and vagina. And my daughter knows the difference between vagina and vulva and all the different parts of her anatomy yeah. and, Um, you know, like normalizing those things, even in your relationship, normalizing, using correct naming and um, normalizing, hey, I need to go to the doctor and have a, a, I don't know what you guys call it, like a pap smear that women have to have, you know, like just not shying away from those little conversations where you build just a little bit of bravery. Like, oh, yeah. I'm talking about something that's related to my <laughs> reproductive health and my sexual organs. And and I'm just building a little bit more comfortability in, in using that kind of language. And yeah. I think that's one part of it. And then, I mean, communication is just super, super important for any part of a relationship. But of course. Um, when it comes to sex and sexuality, it's vital, you know? It's, yeah. it's really vital. And so we have to look at skills like, do I know how to actively listen without getting defensive? Mm. Do I know how to hear my partner? And I think this is interesting because even if you're not partnered, even if you're single, you can apply a lot of the same thinking to your own thought life with yourself. Like, do I know how to listen to myself and my thinking about sex and sexuality without placing judgment on myself? For yeah. It? Um, but then when you're with a partner and you've got these dynamics of these two people, often when we bring up sex or sexuality or something about our sex life, we, one of us can very quickly jump to the defense, you know, like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't mean that or, or you should have done this or you should have done that. And so like learning to have those conversations with skills like active listening. So allowing space for your partner to just share what they're feeling and what their thoughts are on it and then repeating back to them. And okay, so what I'm hearing is and, and getting clarification, like, is that what you're meaning, you know, and, yeah. and allowing them to feed back to you and going, Oh, okay. Um, another great, a great line that um, Brené Brown talks about is using this phrasing, the story I'm telling myself. Oh, right. So, so this is powerful when you're trying to listen to your partner and you get defensive because mm-hmm. you're like, 
what do you mean I didn't do that well? <laughs> you don't like what I did. <laughs> right. And, and going and being able to say, okay, wow, I, I really jumped to the defense there because the story I'm telling myself is, you know, maybe it's that I'm bad or that I'm naughty or that I'm not desirable or that my body is not okay or, you know, it could be anything. And, yeah. and when your partner gets to hear the why behind it and the heart behind it and the, oh, this is, this is bringing up pain for this person that I love because mm-hmm. the story they're telling themselves is that they're not good enough or the story yeah. they're telling themselves is that their body is bad. Or um, So I think those are some practical, really powerful tools that you can use um, in a partnership is learning to actually actively listen and have conversations in that way. Yeah. I mean, using, using that idea of looking at what's the story behind this that I'm telling myself. Yeah. No, that's, that's a beautiful way to look at it too. And I, I love that, like the skills that we'd be developing and learning active listening and learning how to communicate about our sex life better, obviously are extremely applicable in every other area of our life as well. You know, and so I, I kind of have this idea that like the quality of my sex life will directly reflect the quality of the rest of my life. Or, or I guess the more I'm growing away from my old way of thinking, the more I'm realizing that I'm a whole unified person and that I can't, I can't be like amazing in one area of my life and the other area be like a dumpster on fire. It just doesn't work like that, you know? So I, I think it's really encouraging for me to hear that, you know, some stuff that will improve any relationship, like improving your communication. Well, of course that will also improve your sexual relationship. It's, there's no, there's not necessarily a distinction. And I think maybe that distinction um, and kind of holding sex and sexuality as like this other different topic that, that we kind of keep over here while everything else that's more kosher will keep over here. Um, yeah, it's just, it helps me to be aware of that. I don't need to keep that stuff so separate. Sexuality is just a part of being a regular person and we all deal with it. We all have it. We all can enjoy it. Um, yeah. And I, and I think as well, there's a, a really cool point there that you can look at your relationship and go, well, where are we strong and good at doing something together? Mm-hmm. And how can we use that strength and bring that strength into our sexual relationship? Yeah. Like if there's a way that you guys are really good at talking, like, you know, for my husband and I, it's when we go for a walk. When mm-hmm. we walk, we're awesome at having discussions about difficult things, like maybe whether it's finances or parenting or things that we want to do. Yeah. We're good if we're walking. We're not so good if we're sitting down in the bedroom or at the kitchen table trying yeah. to have that same conversation. So uh-huh. bring that same strength to your conversations about sex and sexuality. Those conversations don't have to just be in the bedroom. Now you might not want them to be at a cafe with other people around, but uh-huh. <laughs> but think about where can you have those conversations that are not just in the moment as well. Like right. get good at talking about your sex life and your desires and your pain and your preferences and all those sorts of things. in in ways that that work for you in other areas yeah yeah no that's great I I, it's funny because I I feel that in myself so much I I feel like I'm pretty conscious of a lot of the stuff that we're talking about not that I'm arrived or anything like that by any stretch of the imagination but I feel like I'm conscious of of this stuff but I still find myself feeling like anything around sex is kind of a taboo topic you know like if I think about having that conversation it still puts like a little bit of a twist in my stomach, obviously mm-hmm. much, much less than it would have five or 10 years ago, but it's still there. And it's just really interesting to me how, um, yeah, how that still has a little bit of a grip, you know, and I think I feel encouraged and like empowered to have those conversations a little more openly and freely um, in my relationship. And I, I can totally see how that will make a big difference. Um, yeah. Yeah. And even just your awareness that that kind of creates a little knot in your stomach mm-hmm. means you can you can work with that. You can breathe into that. You can move through that. You yeah. can, you know, go for a surf or a swim or whatever it is that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you can allow yourself to feel that and go, yeah, I, I feel the excitement that maybe this could be better, but I also feel the fear that maybe I'm going to be bad or naughty if I talk about this. Right. Um, and so I think awareness is, is really huge. Yeah. And that, that balance, he feels so key to me, like the, the feeling, the feeling and not necessarily having to, uh, 
having that feeling have so much importance, you know what I mean? Or like trying to get rid of it or trying to necessarily do anything with it, but just the fact that I'm feeling a feeling right now and I'm aware of it and it's good. It's good that my body can tell me things. It means that there's something there. Another like really big part of this as, as we're trying to heal and recover is kind of reimagining what a healthy relationship can look like. And I think you mentioned when we were talking back and forth about the importance of creating a new sexual ethic. And I, I'm curious to hear what, what you think that process can look like and why that is so important to kind of redefine what we're going for. Yeah, right. Uh, I think we know that the old way that we were taught is kind of broken. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. And <laughs> you mean like hiding you, and feeling shame and yeah, not yeah. talking about it and all that? <laughs> so, so pretty clearly that didn't work for a lot of us. There are a small percentage of people who that does work for. Sure. Like, like purity culture did work for a small percentage of people and they did go into their relationships or their marriages and feel free and great and fine. And so mm-hmm. awesome. That's lovely for them. But for a lot of us, it didn't work. Yeah. Um, so... I think that when we think about a new sexual ethic, we have to go into what we value. Um, And that may come from some of your faith structure that you've Mm -hmm. had before. Again, deconstruction, we're all doing it differently, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. So for some people, they're going to pull from their faith structures and values that they feel are important there, you know, goodness and kindness and compassion and how those are outworked with a, a faith spin on them. Um, for some people, it's going to be looking at, you know, medical things and like, how do we do this in a way that's healthy for our bodies? And mm-hmm. so there's all these different things that we can pull into creating a new sexual ethic. So that whole thing of health and sex ed, you know, I really think that that's something that we missed out on with abstinence only teaching. Yeah. And so we need to pull that one in and go, okay, how do I engage in sexual behavior you know, whatever state you're in, whether you're single or dating or partnered or wherever, how am I going to choose to engage in sexual behavior in ways that honor things that I believe are important in all these different areas? Mm. So how am I going to engage in a way that is really healthy? You know, so I'm using protection or I'm using birth control or I'm, you know, I'm thinking about checking in with my partner if there's any, you know, if if it's not someone you're married to. Like I'm thinking about checking in with those people and going, okay, my health matters to me and so I'm going to think about that and I value my health and so I'm going to ask some questions around that. Or, um, you know, for some people, they do value waiting until a point of commitment or a point of marriage and that's like I'm not here to say, to tell anybody that you should or shouldn't do it any particular way what the work that i do with clients is going okay what do you value what do you see as really important how do we value you know the humanity of the others that we encounter in our sexual behavior yeah and and so pulling together a, a new sexual ethic is about not just looking at sex in this one narrow way that we've been taught through purity culture but really opening up our view and opening up our thinking and going oh, there might be other things that I want to think about and include here and there might be some things that I want to drop and leave behind. Um, and and so, yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I, I think it's just, it feels so exciting to me because it's like you can kind of start over fresh. And I, I think the other piece of that is that you could start over fresh whenever you want and we're changing and growing and developing people. And um, yeah, I, I think it just... It empowers me to think through that because I don't think that's something I've really done is like taking the time to sit down and really thought through, you know what, what in an ideal world, like, what am I really going for here? What are we going for? What's the end goal? I think, and that probably ties back into the communication piece that we were talking about that traditionally, I think it's been so taboo to talk about things that it's been hard to like dream together about what our perfect relationship could look like, our perfect sex life could look like, because it feels uncomfortable probably to both of us to talk about it. You know what I mean? And so it's, um, yeah, I I think everything you're saying, it just makes me remember and realize that everything is connected and that if we can get really good at communication, that's going to have a cascading effect down to everything else. And if you can learn to relate to your shame and start to, separate your shame from who you are, then that's going to cascade and affect everything else. And um, 
yeah like it's and just e- equally when you learn to connect to pleasure and when you learn to engage with with pleasure mm-hmm. that affects other parts of your life too you know yeah. like you live in in a more I want to say turned on state of mind, but it's yeah. not in a sexual way, but you live in a more expressed way um, when you can connect to pleasure as a good thing. Yeah, it, yeah. It has, it has beautiful benefits in other areas of your life as well. Yeah, I, th- I think that's been something that I've been like getting a taste of as I've been like growing up a bit over the last few years is just the idea of like being turned on to life you know, and I almost as if I want to like suck every drop of experience and sensation and and like, I want to live completely fully, you know, a life fully alive, fully electric, like tingling with sensitivity to what's around me. Um, And embodied, right? It's about the whole integration and embodiment that's, that's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's great. That's, that's super helpful. And I feel like really, I feel super motivated. I'm going to get off this call when we're done and go and tell Katie everything we're talking about. Like, Hey, (laughs) we need to go on a walk. We need to improve our communication. We're going to do so much stuff. It's going to be so much fun. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's all. It's really, really good. I think, can I add in there as well? You you said it's going to be so much fun. I think that's a really important piece to remember is because often when we were in purity culture, we lost the sense of fun and chemistry, like the thrill of Um, sexual tension with someone the thrill of chemistry with somebody Mm -hmm. instead of being fun and like full of curiosity and goodness yeah it became shameful and dirty and naughty yeah and so that's something that often if you're a couple that has come through purity culture or one of you's come through that reclaiming the sense of fun around Mm. your sex life is it's so beneficial and it's yeah it's good to be intentional about how can we make sex more fun? You know, yes, there's times when it can feel sacred and um, beautifully intimate and emotive, but also there's like fun, funny sex too. You know, there's awkward sex sometimes and like, like bring the range of expression to your sex life. Yeah. Even you like giving us giving me like the permission to think of it that way feels really validating and freeing. Cause I think that's like a message that we definitely didn't hear um, as we were growing up and as we're going through all of this. So yeah, <laughs> it feels so good to hear that, you know? Good. I'm glad. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so if you're willing to share a little bit, I would love to hear a little bit about how you and your husband have kind of navigated differing faiths. And so this has taken a little bit of a, a detour from, what we were talking about before, but so that, that's another big question we're getting all the time. And a lot of people who listen to our podcast are kind of dealing with is one person um, is starting to have questions about the faith that maybe they both shared when they were starting the relationship. And now there's a big disparity and the whole, you shall not be uh, unequally yoked verse like that comes up and that's, that becomes a real problem, you know? And so I'd be curious if you'd be um, willing to share a little bit of your journey in that area. Yeah, sure. So um, I think I'd start by saying that I don't think my husband and I currently share different faiths. Like mm-hmm. there, there has been, a, but I'll, I'll share a little bit about that kind of process and how okay. we've ended up where we are. Um, and with an awareness that, you know, we're still growing and evolving together and as individuals. So, you know, this could, this could move and change over the years, mm-hmm. but um, I think, and I was actually talking to my mum about this because uh, my mum, her and my dad met not being Christians. Mm-hmm. So they met at 16 and 18 or whatever it was and had this whole life together and got married and then became Christians and then went through their experience of being Christians. And then when I was 10, 10 to 12, around that time, left the church themselves. So I, I say to people, I've been deconstructing since I was 10, guys. <laughs> like this, is, <laughs> this has been a part of my life for a long time. Um, so my teenage years were filled with a home that was full of these deconstruction type questions. Okay. Um, but they still have a very strong faith. They just don't identify with any church related things. Sure. Um, so there was always this, I was talking to mum about it and she was like, well, we had a relationship pre-faith and mm. the difference for me and my husband is we came to our relationship both you know, kind of an evangelical Christian circles. Yeah. And so faith was a very foundational thing in our relationship. And 
what was important for me was going back and remembering I love you or I fell in love with you and still love you for so many things that are not just the faith piece. Yeah. You know, for your creativity and for your humor and for your beautiful work ethic and for how you parent our children so amazingly. And, you know, because you're hot as square jawline, <laughs> but I, I was 18 and I still love, uh-huh. you know. Like, these are things that are good to remember, but there are reasons usually why you fell in love with somebody that are separate to the faith piece altogether. Yeah. Now, yeah, you might have loved and valued their conviction that they were like a man of God or a woman of God or something, mm-hmm. and that's fine, but but it doesn't have to be the sum total of why you love somebody. Yeah. So then it takes a bit of the pressure out when you're having these discussions about faith and it gives you a little bit more stability because mm-hmm. often, and, you know, him and I have talked about this, as I started to have a lot more questions and I was bringing up these things and I was like, I don't believe me in the head of the household anymore. And so we tackled that one. And then I don't think this anymore. And I've got questions about that. And so we had to go on this process of being really honest and saying to each other, when you don't agree with me, it kind of frightens me and it scares me. And so having the conversation about, yeah, we're honest about that. And we recognize that that is a difficult conversation to have but there are very very many underlying things about our relationship that are good and true and solid and we love each other and and for us you know for us we're in a marriage and we're committed to that marriage you know we love each other Mm -hmm. so that was a really interesting process and then also for me getting to a point where he was able to freely say, well, these are the parts of my faith that I actually really value and want to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And I was able to say, well, these are the parts that I want to hold on to. And these are the things I for sure want to let go of. Yeah. And and like doing that process together and just asking each other questions like, what do you think about this? Or I wonder what they mean when they say this or just getting really curious about it. And, um, And I think for us, what's been beautiful is trusting that we love each other for very many reasons outside of the faith questions. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's been a process and continues to be a process. Of course. You know, there are are ways in which we've each deconstructed and reconstructed that I never would have expected as an 18-year-old from Mm -hmm. him or from me. (laughs) Right. You know, when we first kind of laid eyes on each other and... And then, you know, you just don't think in your early 20s that somebody would ever change something that is so foundational. Right. <laughs> um, but but it's been a beautiful thing to realize that we love each other through all of that. Yeah. Do you feel like your relationship has benefited from going through that process? <laughs> There's been times when I would say no. Like, <laughs> not benefiting from this process right now (laughs) for sure at like loggers about these things um but I think anything that makes you get better at communication Mm -hmm. anything that makes you get better at sharing your heart anything that makes you get better at um loving and caring for somebody it's got to be good in the long term right yeah yeah I, I as you were talking I was thinking you know what it sounds it sounds like such a beautiful way to approach the, approach the issue, because I think for a lot of people, and even for me and Katie included, when, when Katie was the one who first asking questions, um, like kind of having doubts and asking questions. And when she first started asking me that, it was like, for me, it was like immediate walls go up. I'm like freaking out inside. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to lose my faith. I know she doesn't want to either, but I'm not prepared to help her. And it's, it's like kind of just a lockdown right at that point. Communication is not, it wasn't increased between us. It was, it was definitely kind of, um, the pressure was put on it, I guess I'll say. And I think that for us, it, it felt a little bit like we were sort of just like tumbling aimlessly down a hill and bumping into trees and rocks along the way as we went down. But I, I think it would have been so helpful if we, if we would have had really, really clear communication in the beginning. And even that conversation you were just mentioning, 
at the, for the very start, if we could have connected at the very beginning and said, Hey, you know what, like, what are the things that we really like each other about each other outside of our faith? Like, what are the really, the real reasons why we got married? Cause that was something that I think Katie and I figured out like three years after we started questioning all of this. So, you know, we went through all of it and got depressed in the process and all kinds of stuff and then kind of realized, Oh, you know what? We actually do. We actually do really like each other. And like faith was a huge part of why or of our, our marriage when it began, but like there was also a ton of other stuff. And that realization was really beautiful for us to realize it almost felt like it breathed really like breathed life back into our relationship. And in some subtle ways, it felt like we were starting over fresh again. And it was like, Oh yeah, like you're this person that I like for this reason, you know, and and removing the faith as a key component of our relationship really helped things. Um, But yeah, I'm just thinking like if, if we would have started off having that conversation before going through all of this, I would have felt a lot more um, secure. And I think we would have felt like much more supported by each other as we had these questions rather than feeling like closed off and scared and shut down, you know? And I think for me, there was incredible power in, you know, being in my early thirties and going through this process and then choosing my husband as a 30 something year old versus a 20 year old. I'm like, how much more do you know and understand and that, you know, people are going to disappoint you and let you down. And yet I choose you now as whatever age I am. And I've, I've moved and I've grown and I still choose you. Yeah. And that was a huge bit of agency for me. I mean, when I was in therapy dealing with all of this stuff, a big piece that, that my therapist said to me was, well, you actually have agency. You have choice. Like you can choose to walk out if you mm-hmm. want to. Um, but what do you want now, right yeah, now in yeah. the present? What do you want? Why do you love this person? Um, and for me, when I made that choice, like I, I often kind of, I was joking with a friend that like I kind of wish we could get divorced and then like remarried again. Mm-hmm. And I guess in my head, that's almost what I had to do. I had yeah. to. And like, you know, that's not even on the cards for us because we love each other and we're committed. But I did have to kind of go, okay, if I was meeting you again, fresh slate, whole new situation, would I choose you? Right. And and for me, that was powerful to go, yeah, because there's these very, very many things that I love about you. Mm-hmm. So many things that I I value and see as important and yeah, so it was a powerful process to re-choose him. Yeah, definitely. And we and we went through something similar where it felt like we had to consider the fact that divorce was actually an option for us for the first time. Whereas, you know, as as the type of Christianity we were in, like divorce wasn't even on the table. It wasn't like yeah, the word yeah. might as well have not existed. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that, like that that process was obviously really hard, and it was hard to think about the fact that maybe, you know, what maybe we aren't right for each other. And I, I honestly think I know in a lot of people's cases, um, you may not be right with, for your partner. You know, if, if you started your relationship in, in a, a really closed down dogmatic certain way of thinking, I think maybe there is a possibility when you start asking these questions that maybe you would be better off, um, ending things and kind of starting fresh. But I, of course that's, um, for each person to come to their own conclusions about and it widely varies. Um, yeah, and I think that when you're when you're thinking about those sorts of things, it's mm-hmm. really important to remember that you are in the middle of deconstructing and rethinking a lot of things. Yeah, and and I do see that people do this really big pendulum swing, and you know, for some people, that's part of their healing and that's part of the process is they have to do the pendulum swing and then come back to some mm. kind of new way of being and engaging in relationships and sexuality and all that kind of stuff so like there's no judgment here if that's been your path um but I do think that we can like if we forget that we're in this state of flux and the state of um curiosity and the state of growth like sometimes I do think that we can make decisions that we might regret later yeah well, that and makes so sense. I think it's trying to hold all of these different things. And, you know, I used to be so black and white. And I think that what my process of evolving faith has been is learning to hold all these different things 
in my arms and go, I don't know all the answers to all of these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to gently sit with them and I'm going to gently look through them and I'm not going to make wild, drastic decisions while I'm still working through this. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think that's something that comes up with the couples that I work with relationally. And I often find myself saying to people, you actually don't have to make a decision right now. Mm, like, yeah. <laughs> give yourself the time and the space. And whatever your decision ends up being, that, like, that's your agency, your choice, your, you know, as a couple and as individuals, you'll come to that place. But like, sometimes we think we have to make right. that black and white again. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, that it's so tricky. I feel like the the black and white thing, I find it comes up so much for me and I catch myself constantly like thinking of things in that way. And yeah, it's just been a process of kind of learning to live in the unknown and just being able to rest and wait. But yeah, I I love that advice. You don't have to decide right now. (laughs) You know, and and like you said, I, I think it probably is not the correct time to decide when you're in the midst of like your entire worldview crumbling around you and everything you once knew is true is now up in the air. Like you're probably not in the best place to make a decision. Yeah, <laughs> so right. yeah, it's a good reminder to give yourself some, some uh, leeway there. Yeah. And, and along with that trust that if you have made a decision and you have swung in one particular direction, whatever, like that's cool too. There's learning there and just totally. be kind, be yeah. kind yourself in the process. Yeah. I love that. And, and cool. kind to your partner. Yeah. All right. So if, um, for anyone listening who's hearing all this and they're like, oh my God, I, I need to talk to Meg. I need to work with her. I need her to, to help me. Um, what's the best way for people to find you, to start to work with you, to get in touch with you, all of that? Yeah. So I think the first thing is jump on Instagram. So at Meg C. Cowan, um, so there's two C's in there, Meg C. Cowan. And there's a bit of, you know, stuff that you can read and, and information and things and you can reach out and DM me there or my website is megcowan.com as well. So there's plenty of stuff there. Cool. Awesome. 